This is Matins with Khanya Ditabe and Colin York. And it's Tuesday morning, so you know how it works. Every Tuesday we get a Catholic comment or comment on all things current and Catholic or whatever <laughs> that's happening in the world. Comment from Father Lawrence Mtutuzinlovo. Father? Good morning, Kanye. You know, today is 17 years since uh, 9-11, hey? Has it been that long? It's been that long, yes. Oh, my goodness. Gosh, yes, yes, yes. That horrible, horrible, horrible day. I remember it as if it was yesterday. Um, anyway... A lot of evil has visited the world, and I think when we think back at that time, we 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 it really it changed that event, changed the world. In that, to this day, when you go through security check after security check after security check at airports, you know that it's because of 9/11 that everything was beefed up everywhere in the world. To this day, when you have to go through hard uh, processes of getting visas, in interviews, what have you, what have you, you know that is the result of 9-11. The world is as interconnected, is even more interconnected now because of that singular event. And of course, the families and people who lost their lives, can you imagine? It, I was, it's the same like the firefighters. Yes. People who woke up in the morning, went to work, sat in their office, only to have a plane just plunge into your office, and that's the end of it. That's quite a sight, and I think that should never visit our lives again. Terrorism, you know, that, that was the way that, uh, that we had so much of you, uh, that oh year. My and dear. of course, uh, the it was, you know, years. it really moved from the number, I don't know, number 1,600 in the whatever, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and then the, moved the, up the, the list. The word used list to number one. And the war, as they called it, the war against... I mean, that event really sent the world into a spin. The Americas going to Iraq looking for things that they don't know. Yes. Just out of a sense of, 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 of revenge. The worst decisions were made after that. And I think there's also a lesson for all of us as spiritual persons and as religious people. Never do anything from a place of hatred or a place of revenge. After the war against Iraq, plunging an entire country, entire the Middle East into rubbles, creating terror organizations and all of that, because people acted out of hatred and out of revenge. The maxim of one's actions should always, always be noble. Then you know that something positive, something good will come out of it. And if we don't learn from history, then we're a bunch of fools living our days like, I don't know, as if we've, this has never happened before. And I remember Nelson Mandela clearly saying, you know, uh, Hans Blix is the man. And uh, he has gone into Iraq and he said there are no m- weapons of mass destruction. And I trust what he says. And uh, George you, Bush still said, uh-uh, I mean, we are going. There was no need for that war, so-called war on terror. There was no need for it. I remember the contributions of President Mbeki. You know, he himself, there were the night before the United Kingdom was to join the America, America as its ally in the air war against terror, phoning Tony Blair personally saying, don't do it, there is no such thing. But because of anger, because of hatred and revenge, 
driven by darkness. People chose not to see that. They were hungry for some kind of revenge. And look at what it's done. The Middle East is where it is today. The vulnerabilities that you see, the terrorist groups, ISIS, whatever, are a direct consequence of the weakening of systems of government in the Middle East, causing lawlessness in things and groups to exist undeterred. That's what you get if you do, uh, if you work from a place, from a maxim of darkness. <laughs> and of course, then uh, this means that there's also a place for the church's social teachings to really uh, be at play here, right? All the time. All the time. You know, one of the best things that had happened to me growing up, I went to a workshop, many, 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 when, you know, our youth office in Johannesburg, at least at that time, there was one time when something dynamic was going on. And I would say it was when you get uh, departments working together. And I remember Sister Sheila Mary teaching about the Catholic social teachings to us as young leaders. And I say this because to this day, every single decision that I have to make that affects plus one, somebody plus one, myself and whoever, I always begin from a place of human dignity. You see, if you have to go to war, you have to ask yourself, what am I dignifying? Am I helping uh, someone up? Am I changing someone's condition? If I have to make an everyday decision, the question whether I work in a government office, whether I sweep the street, in the back of your mind is, who am I dignifying? Who am I lifting up? If your answer is, if, if the answer is myself, then you know, no, 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 no. Perhaps not. Maybe perhaps not. I need to rethink this. And uh, you mentioned that, Father, we're now in September in the Heritage Month. And, uh, you know, uh, and I'm looking at your uh, People's Renaissance articles as well on uh, online. <laughs> what, what a time that was uh, in uh, South Africa between 1995 and 2005. You know, um, I, as I say in the article that a lot of people write, you know, I was reading about the Harlem Renaissance, even the societal renaissance. And I used to think, and I used to think, you know, who creates these ideas? Who creates these terms? People. And I, I was talking principally in that article, especially for Heritage Month, for the experience that one had growing up between um, in 1995 and 2005, just after the democratic dispensation was just realized. The amount of artistry, work, fashion, Black Pride, and all of those, it was an exciting time. Why was it so exciting? I think it's because there was an air of hope, that there was something so optimistic about that period. And then, of course, after 2005, we sort of, okay, fine, this is not coming as fast as we thought, but it was really an exciting time. And, I, and I, 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 people would ask, why is this priest sort of writing about non-priestly things? <laughs> and I think that I think that people have to we have to open to our people. Uh, certainly, thinking now about also Chris Chatteris's article uh, for the Chris Chatteris's article, we have to open to our people our very humanity. I'm not interested in the priesthood of stardom. 
I'm not interested in the priesthood of a superstardom, unapproachable uh, sort of uh, father is the answer. I'm interested in the people, in the priesthood of the people, where people are in their everyday experience. So if somebody said, do you know anything about poetry? I'd probably say yes. You know, what's your favorite opera? I'd probably tell them. Because that too is the condition of the priest. Humanity is also the condition of the priest. This pedestal nonsense, uh, you know, you bump into, sorry I'm ranting a bit, but you bump into, you're sitting with friends, whether it's a restaurant or it's a small pub or whatever, and somebody is almost about to drop dead because you're sitting at a pub and you're a priest. Get over yourself, pull yourself together. I've got friends, I'm a priest. Anyway, yes, let's continue. Yes, and uh, of course, uh, the clericalism is what uh, Pope Francis has been, uh, has been, uh, what's the word, denouncing. I think that's the word. <laughs> yes, and I think we have to be careful of it, because as Chris Chapter said in that very important article, it, it, it's a power thing. It's a driver of power. And once one believes that he's got power, then he no longer sees himself as the same as those that he is with. And I think uh, uh, the, the, the paradigm of service, not one of power, the paradigm of service, is important. And I don't think that the paradigm of power is necessarily created by the priest himself. It comes out of a culture, as it were, of excessive reverence, if you know, if you know what I mean. Uh, from the faithful themselves, I think they respect us. I think they're proud of us. I think they love us. Um, but it can go mad. And it depends on whose ears it falls to. Some people believe it. Some of us could believe it. Yes, I'm special. Yes, I'm extraordinary, but not really. You see, what makes a priest extraordinary is the priesthood of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ himself, you see. So who is extraordinary? Jesus Christ himself. Not necessarily this vehicle that is uh, Lawrence and Rose. And I think this is an important conversation. One, as far as I'm concerned, we need to host at some point, of course, so says the powerless man, but we need to host a round table. Take Chris Chatteris's article as the working document for that discussion. Mm-hmm. And I would be interested to have, as priests, as people of God, and see, maybe we, I, I really, really would recommend that piece of writing. Well researched uh, from what I see and uh, really well thought and oh, at the same time really talking from uh, experience uh, by Father Chris Chatteris. And I'm glad that it's a priest who wrote that because if it was a lay person who had written that, there would be some attitude from our, from, from our, um, from our colleagues as priests. How dare, you know, how, people, how, how, how judgmental. But because he knows it, he's reflected about it and he's correct. I'm just excited that as a young priest, one gets to read and see such reflections early on in my career, in my priestly career. Unlike people who have had this kind of life as their daily bread. I mean, Chris Chatteris is talking there about the fact that you do, the priesthood does attract abusers, does attract uh, people who, you know, siphon money and, and, and miss bullies. It will always accept that because there's no systems of monitoring. You know, in your job, you know you have a supervisor. 
You know, in your job, you know that you have to answer to somebody. In the case of the priesthood, I'm sitting in Redipot right now. I'll probably never see Archbishop Budi until he calls some meeting somewhere. He will probably never see his own boss. It's not like he's going to go, not like the Holy Father will send him a written warning, you know, about something that he said. No. The distances of supervision demand a, demand a kind of person who can be at least uh, prepared to be committed to doing the right thing without being monitored. Now, that's a, that's a high virtue, to do the right thing without being monitored. And I, 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 I really am, am grateful to Chris Chatters for that article. I really am. And it is my hope that it will go into seminaries. It will go, it's, a, it's, a, it's a document. It really is a memorandum, uh, a manifesto of the priesthood, and I'm, I'm happy about it. What's Father Lawrence talking about? Go to spotlight.africa and uh, just check uh, the latest piece by uh, Father Chris Chatris, a Jesuit. Of course, he's out uh, in uh, Cape Town at the seminary there. And uh, as uh, Father Lawrence says, it's definitely a good, uh, it, can be, it can be used as a working document. Father Lawrence, coming back to, you know, the people, uh, the reverence that, that you were talking about, I think it's definitely out of uh, respect and out of, you know, when I see a priest, I see this person in persona Christi. Um, Capitis, yes. Yes. So there is that, I you know, there right. is that, that I, respect. And I don't want to downplay the, the reverence. Yes. It's important. It's important for the office of the priest. Because it's the office of Jesus Christ himself. And at the same time, therefore, it's also a cross on the person of the priest, if you know what I mean. Because it's the office of Jesus Christ, it demands reverence. And I think our people respect us, and our people, uh, as I say, love us. And I've read, I mean, even my, even in my short time as a parish priest in Rodiport, one has received nothing but love. Some my people, as usual, you get them anywhere, but nothing but love. And so it's not because I'm saying, no, uh, just go mad and, and, and disrespect your priest. Not at all. I'm merely saying that if you look at what it for some people, some priests, it's encouraging. It's humbling. In fact, it's a bit too overwhelming sometimes. I mean, some people are not even my mother's age, not even my grandmother's age, but so much respect for me. But at the same time, if in the hands, at the hands, that kind of reverence, at the hands of a drunk, power drunk person, you can go gaga on you. And that's Father Lawrence Mtuduzintlovu. I think, Father, we'll have to leave it at that. I know there were many other things that we could discuss this morning. <laughs> oh, indeed, indeed. And we, 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 this is important. This is I would important. encourage once again, go to spotlight.africa. It's a beautiful reflection uh, a portal on, on, on society, on the church, and all of that. I think it offers good reflections. Go to spotlight.africa, find Chris Chattress's article, and read it. I would encourage my colleague priests to read it. And I would encourage the people of God to read it, especially those who are discerning a life of whether they want to be priests, sem- you know, going to seminary and all of that. Read Chris Chatteris's work. And Father, you spoke about the people's renaissance uh, between 1995 and 2005. One song came to mind. Listen to this. Oh man, where were you? <laughs> Father Lawrence, oh, man, we lived through amazing times. In South and Africa. I'm so grateful. 
Thank you very much, Father, and God bless. God bless. Bye-bye. This is Matins with Khanya Ditabe and Colin York. 